welcome to the Sam Dean Podcast, where we talk about life uncensored. This podcast is sponsored again by Van Zandt Coffee Company. It's our coffee company that we started here in Canton, Texas, that makes the most fresh, best tasting coffee you can buy. You should be buying good coffee because you drink it every day. It's good for you, especially if you drink it black. I started the company because I wanted the best tasting cup of black coffee, and I did it. Okay, I did it. So today on the show is me, just me, just me and you here. No co-host, no guest, just me. The show today is about how to buy a house in Texas. This is basic stuff, but most people don't know this. So I'm going to go through how to buy a house from point A to point Z and give you some insight on certain things. I'm not going to hit everything. And if you want to sharpshoot me, do it. But record it on your own podcast because this is mine. Anyway, hope you enjoy it. Let's get right into it. You want to buy a house in Texas, you don't know what you're doing. That's what I'm here for. I'm a real estate agent or also known as a realtor because I'm a part of a association. Not real sure what that means uh, other than I have to pay them a bunch of fees and they say you can call yourself a realtor and not just a real estate agent. But the normal person doesn't give a hoot about that. What my job is, is to take all the stress out of purchasing or selling your property. So my job, what I want to do is take all the stress out of the buying or selling process for you, help you negotiate better, also answer the phone when you call me. My office is downtown Canton in the Sproul Law Office. Uh, I bought this building from Pat last year. It's on the corner. It's right across the street from Pony Espresso, which is they serve Van Zandt coffee. It's a great coffee shop drive through and then I'm right next to Val's, which I think Val's is one of the best restaurants in Canton. And diagonally across the street is Kiki Mule, which at first wasn't very good, I thought. And like Adam Henderson, my, my preacher, got busted one time, I think, making too many trips to the salad bar, and they called him out. He won't even step foot in that place. However, I went there th- like three times recently, and the food was incredible. Chicken fried steak. Now, I... With CrossFit, I'm not supposed to be eating chicken fried steaks. However, since I was born, I've been on a quest to find the best chicken fried steak in Texas. So if you have a restaurant and on the menu is chicken fried steak, and I'll roll in there, probably I'm in a pair of shorts, you know, maybe I've worked out already, probably don't smell good, or if I'm on a date with Ashley, I'm probably spruced up. I've got, you know, probably a long sleeve shirt on some pants, and then always some probably some Nike tennis shoes or something. Um, I don't know how to dress. I'm 39 years old. I still don't know how to dress myself. Anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. Other than I'm going to come in there and order that chicken fried steak, and I'm going to put it to the test. And I did that at Kick and Mule recently, and every time I've been back, I've ordered it again because it's damn good. I don't know if it's Annika Scott or her sister. I know she had a sister. But one of them is the head cook, I think, now at Kick and Mule. And the food is great. 
So give it a shot if you haven't been. I don't know why. Like, they're not paying me anything for this, but I just, I'm just telling you what's good. If you have a favorite restaurant in Canton, let me know. Hey, in Athens at the Boathouse, they got a good chicken fried sirloin with that jalapeno gravy on top of it. Anyway, I'm, if you know how to cook a good chicken fried steak, let's have a, a cook-off. I can cook a good one. So anyway, enough about chicken fried steaks. How to buy a house in Texas. I'm a real estate agent. You want to buy a house. This is the first thing you do. You need to get pre-approved. Okay, so in this market, unless you know the seller personally, you need to go to your bank, whoever you use a bank for. You know, you got City National Bank, by, it's my bank, right by CrossFit, on Highway 64 and Old Kaufman, right there in the corner. Debbie Beasley's a loan officer there. You can talk to her. You can go to whoever you have a checking account with and talk to a loan officer. A lot of good banks around here. Talk to a loan officer and get a pre-approval letter. They're going to pull your credit, and they're going to say, Sam, you or Tony or Jeannie or Gertrude, you are approved for 200000 or 500000 or whatever the amount may be. Now, you don't have to spend that amount, but that's just the house that you're able with your finances to buy. So whenever you find a house and you submit an offer, Usually, seller's going to want to see a little pre-approval in there just to have a little, you know, uh, knowledge that you can definitely probably afford this place, okay? So, you don't want to submit one. If you're buying a house for 250000 and they're selling it for three hundred. you don't want to put a pre-approval letter for five hundred with it just because they'll be like, well, he's got plenty of money, you know, so... Anyway, you can get you can for you can get a pre-approval amount for any amount up to what you're actually pre-approved for. So, little hint there. Anyway, get yourself pre-approved first. Then, like, pull out your cell phone and download Zillow.com. Like, I'm not a huge fan of Zillow, but they got probably I think the best app to look at houses. Search for a house you like in the area that you want to search for: Canton, you know, Dallas, wherever, Houston. Um. And look for the look for the houses you like. Pick out about three or four houses you like. Once you find, narrow it down to one, two, three, four houses that you like and you want to go look at, call me. I'll answer my phone. I will say, hey, Bob, or whatever your name is, when do you want to go look at these houses? And you'll say, well, I'm free Saturday. I'll say, okay, well, let me make some appointments. So I'm going to call the listing agent, so the other real estate agent, and I'm going to see if Saturday's a good day for us to look at that house. And we can probably knock them all out on Saturday, all four of them. Okay? So I'm going to make those appointments. Then I'm going to come pick you up in my truck, and we're going to drive over there and look at them on Saturday. We're going to walk through these houses, and if you're looking at houses with a real estate agent and you don't like it, you're not going to buy it, just don't waste your time. So as soon as you know you don't like this house, you're not going to put it on for you, you're not going to buy it, just tell me. And I'll say, hey, no problem. Let's get out of here. We'll lock it up. We'll do everything. I'll send the real estate agent a note and say, hey, they didn't like, you know, seller or buyer didn't like the uh, driveway or, or the curb appeal or, or whatever. Uh, which brings me to another point. I'm going to do another podcast on how to sell a house in Texas. But curb appeal is probably the main thing. When we pull up to that house, they got to have a warm and fuzzy feeling looking at it from the outside, a.k.a. curb appeal, to even go in and look at it. Okay, so when you're selling a house, make sure the outside looks cool. 
All right. Anyway, we're going to go look at all those houses, and you might fall in love with one of them, and you might really like it. So let's say, for the sake of this, this house is two, listed for 250000 asking price, okay? We go look at it. You really love it. If you really, really love it and you want to pay two fifty and don't want any back-and-forth negotiations, then you can put an offer in for 250000 But, you know, I don't ever, well, I don't say never, but, you know, rarely do I buy something full price. So, you know, you might, you might come in at 240000 and submit an offer. Say, like, you look at the house and you say, well, I don't know, like, this thing looks weird. I, I'm probably going to have to spend $10,000 to get this house up to what I think $250,000 house should be. So I want to submit 240000 So I say, okay. And then I'll ask you, hey, how much option money you want to put? Usually it's $100 or $500 for a 10-day option period that gives us enough time for you to get an inspection of the house to make sure something behind the walls, you know, up in the attic, all these under the house, something's not bad that we can't see just by looking at the house with me and you. So you say, okay, let's let's do five hundred dollars for option period. Now that gives us typically ten days. Now that 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 money amount's negotiable, so you might submit this offer for two forty with a five hundred dollar option, and then usually the earnest money is another amount of money. Usually, typically it's one percent of the at the the sales price. Which sales price is two hundred forty thousand. The earnest money then would be two thousand four hundred dollars plus your five hundred dollar option money. But anyway, we haven't got that far yet. So we're going to say 500. So let's say y'all agree on 240, the contract signed, it becomes execute. Now you've got 10 days to look at this house and we're going to order a inspection from a licensed inspector. Now, if you're an inspector yourself or you, you know a lot about houses, you don't have to, you don't have to get this. This is going to cost you anywhere from 400 to $700 to get somebody like Pro inspect this company that I use around here to go in and they're going to spend all day at the house and print you out a huge booklet of all the stuff that they found wrong with the house. Okay. And then they're going to meet you out there and walk you through and show you all this stuff physically and say, Hey, this is this, you need, you know, this need to be fixed. This needs to be fixed in that 10 days. You can back out no home, no foul. You'll lose 500 bucks. Or if it's 100, you'll lose 100. But I hope you understand that to get the contract signed, the seller has to agree to give you that option period for that amount of time and for whatever amount of money. They're not going to let you do it for free, right? Because then they're going to, you're going to tie up their house to do this and basically not, not as available on the market as it would have been. So this is like a deposit when you're buying something off Facebook Marketplace. This is like if you want to buy a lizard for your son off Facebook Marketplace and they're asking 500 bucks for it, you say, okay, Nancy, I'll take that lizard off your hands. And she says, uh, how do I know you're serious? You say, well, here's $50 on Venmo. Boom, I'll come pick it up tonight at 7 p.m. And you show up at 7 p.m. Now you only have to give her 450 because you just paid her 50 to assure her that you're going to come and get it. If you didn't show up at 7 p.m., she's going to keep your 50 and sell it to somebody else. Anyway, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. So 10 days, you do the inspection, and let's say the inspection found some termites or something you didn't really like that you didn't know about. Obviously, you can back out, or you can say, hey, how much is... You can figure out how much it's going to be to remedy the problem that they found in the inspection. 
then you can go back and say, hey, seller, like, I didn't know about this issue, aka termites or something else, and I found out it's going to be 10000 to fix these termites or Ten, you know, it's a little stretch, but you know, it's going to take ten thousand to fix all this stuff that I thought was wrong. Will you drop the price to two thirty, and we can move on with this and keep going? And they may say no, and if they say no, hey, no harm, no foul. You still lose your option money, but you're, you're out of the contract. But you know that you can negotiate at that point. So anyway, but let's say you they did the inspection, everything's good. It was just minor stuff, and you don't care. You're like, okay, I still want the house for two forty. Then we're moving on. The next thing is the earnest money, and that's 1%. By the way, whenever the, the seller and the buyer agree for the 240 contract and they both sign it, it's a, called an executed contract. We have to turn a copy into the title company and turn a copy into your lender. Um, the earnest money is typically 1% of the sales price. You have three days from when you sign the contract to take Earnest money two thousand four hundred dollars plus the five hundred dollar option money, so it's twenty nine hundred bucks. You got three days to take that twenty nine hundred bucks to the title company and drop it off. That way they hold it right, and they can they can pay out if you back out of the contract. They can pay out that option money and give you your earnest money back. Or after the ten days, if you back out for some reason, other than stuff that we have in the contract, like a third party financing addendum, which means that bank that said you were pre approved then went on and decided, hey, I can't give you a loan for this house or the, you know, the appraisal came back wrong. Um, then you'll be okay backing out at that point too. However, if you back out for other reasons, just change of heart or whatever after the 10 day, then you will lose the earnest money as well. Okay. But if you don't and everything goes through, the option money and the earnest money will go towards your down payment or go towards the purchase of the house. So you're not going to lose that money if everything you agreed on is is cool. Okay. So you got your earnest your option money, your earnest money. We've talked about it. 10-day option period typically it can be 7, it can be 30. But usually a seller's not going to agree to 30. So then in a transaction we have a survey. Like when you buy a house, typically your lender is going to want a survey that's recent. And sometimes a seller already has that. And then your title company is, is ran by lawyers, and they do a thing called a title policy. And the title policy is title insurance. That means that you have insurance and peace of mind that, that you're, what the seller is selling, they have a right to sell it. And nobody has a lien against it. Their estranged grandpa Mike is not going to come out of the woods and say, no, that's my house. Uh and then you're going to lose your house, right? So if you have that title policy, now you're insured that if something, the seller is, something's wrong with the seller's title, he doesn't have right to the title or she doesn't have a right, then you'll get your money back on that, that thing. So the thing about the survey and the title insurance is they're usually around the same price. So in a good real estate transaction, the buyer will provide one and the seller will, will provide the other. And what is a good real estate transaction? A, a, a good real estate transaction, in my opinion, is where both parties are happy. It's not one-sided, right? I've been in some where 
the seller refused to budge on anything, right? And they're like asking this price. They don't, they won't negotiate at all. And then they'll be like, oh, the buyer needs to pay for all the closing costs, you know? And then it's like, golly, you know, let's make a transaction where we're both happy. And that's a, that's a kind of a way for it. Anyway, so you got a title policy and you got the survey. Now, if the seller already had a survey done recently, you can use that, right? And then the buyer can buy the title policy or vice versa. Okay, so you have that. Um, so the thing you wait on, when you, whenever that contract's signed, usually it's about 30 days, right, before you can close. So you can bet on about 30 days because the title company has to do all the title paperwork, all the title policy paperwork and stuff. Your lender has to get your loan together. Uh, if you have poor credit, what's p- bad credit? What's credit anyway? I don't even know. Good credit's like 800 and something. Bad credit is like below 600 or something like that. It's hard for people to, you know, that's, that's your trustworthiness as somebody borrowing money to pay it back. If you have bad credit, you know, you may have to get a government loan, government back loan, or go to with a lender that has experience in that. I know Monica Rucker at Gateway is really good at giving people with kind of uh, poor credit, getting them getting them uh, loans. So with my friend Alex Varela with Team Varela out of Denton, um, he does a lot of mortgages like that. And he has a team, they speak Spanish. Um, and he's helped a lot of people get loans. So has Monica. Um, if you got great credit, you know, you may have cash. You may not even need a loan. But if you have great credit, you may want to use one of these local banks here. You know, there'd probably be less fees on that for you. You know, like Debbie Beasley and City National Bank, which is my bank. You got Lace Melton out there. Uh, Texas Bank and Trust. A few others around. Um, anyway... It takes a bank a long time to kind of get their stuff together. They're also, during this transaction, they're going to send an appraiser out and to do an appraisal of the house. So let's go back to it. The, the sales price was 240 on the contract. The bank is going to have to appraise this house for, you know, at least 240 or, or somewhere in that neighborhood for them to be comfortable, based on your down payment, for them to be comfortable giving you the loan for the property. Because if you don't pay the bank back for the house, they're going to take it and they're going to sell it to somebody else. It has to be worth the money, right? So it's an appraisal. Now, usually around here, it appraises for the sales asking price. Sometimes it doesn't. So if the appraisal comes back low, that's another time where you have a kind of a negotiation to go back with the seller and say, look, the appraisal came in low, came in at 230. Do you mind dropping it down Maybe to two thirty-five, and I'll pay five thousand more, and we'll make this deal happen. Something like that. So that's another piece of negotiations. Um, the uh, when the appraisal comes in. So surveys used to take five weeks. Now they're now it's down. I bug Farrell with the Hearn surveying. He also owns Ward Surveying in Athens. They're incredible surveyors. They they work really fast. Uh, one of my best friends. Uh, in the title policy. So it's about 30 days. Now, if your lender ends up taking a little longer, title company ends up taking a little longer, it can go over 30 days. But you can bet after you 
sign the contract, it's going to be at least 30 days for you to close on a property, unless you're paying cash. If you pay, if you got the cash, you're paying the cash for a house, you can just take the the uh, the ex- executed contract to the title company, and in a, f- a few days they can have the title work done. Um, a few weeks sometimes. So we're talking Van Zandt Abstract, Free State Abstract, Elliot and Waldron Abstract. Um, so there's that. Monica Rucker also does, I said government loans. She can do VA loans. A lot of local banks can't do VA loans, so veteran administration loans. If you're a veteran, you can buy a house and it's a government-backed loan for zero money down. Typically, when you get a, a, a home loan and you're not a veteran, you're going to have to put at least 20% down, sometimes 15% down, but 20% of the sales price. So if, you, if you're buying a $240,000 house, let me pull out my calculator because I'm not a kid genius, times 0. 0.2, it's 48, that's $48,000. So you have to save, like you have to have $48,000 to put 20% down on a $240,000 house. So 240 minus 48,000 is 192,000. So your loan then is going to be for 192,000. And that's what you'll be paying on for the next 30 years if it's a 30-year mortgage. You know, you can get a loan for 15 years, 10 years, to 20 years. Um, usually first-time home buyers are going to get kind of a prime loan, uh, 30-year mortgage, typically. And that's usually the lowest interest rate you can get. Some of the places, like City National Bank, I know, they don't do any 30-year fixed rates. Fixed rate means, like, your whatever interest rate the bank gives you, that's the one you're going to have for 30 years. It's not going to move. But adjustable rate mortgages, like, I know City National Bank will do a 20-year uh, ARM, adjustable rate mortgage, and that means if the, you know, the mortgage rate can go up or it can go down based on the, um, the Fed. Um, anyway, I don't want to get too much into that. This is kind of basic stuff. So let's go back through it. You found the house you liked. I helped you. I wrote the offer for you for 240 We said $500 earnest for $500 option money, uh, 2400 earnest money we're going to close 30 days from now uh the seller will provide the survey the buyer will provide the title policy which are roughly the same price which you know on a normal house that could be it could be 500 to 700 dollars for each of those okay um huge piece of land the survey is going to be a lot more but a huge piece of land is going to be a lot more expensive so the title policy might be a little lot more so um there's something to think about there. Anyway, about 30 days later, you finally get there. The appraisal comes back good. Your inspection was good. The title company calls and says, hey, we're ready to close on Tuesday. Here are your closing disclosures. So they're going to send you and send me a closing disclosure document. It has all of it itemized out, just like you're buying a car or whatever. It shows like all your fees and stuff, your realtor fees and stuff. Um, your, your taxes, like you're going to prorate the property taxes for the thing. So you're only going to pay for the property taxes after you buy the house, and the seller will pay for them before that. But sometimes they'll give you money, and you'll, and you'll pay for them all. So they'll pay you 
all the property tax they hadn't paid the property taxes that year. Anyway, we can explain that later. But um, usually, real estate agents get six percent. So the buyer's agent will get three percent, and the seller's agent will get three percent. The seller will pay those real estate fees. So whenever they get two hundred forty for the house. 6% will go to the brokers, okay? The listing broker will get the money. He'll pay the buying broker, and then the brokers will pay the agents. And they're, they're split sometimes. Well, nine times out of ten, if you're a real estate agent or a realtor and you work for a broker, they're going to get a cut of the commission. Sometimes it's 50%, sometimes it's 30%, whatever your deal is with your broker. If you're listening to this and you want to be a real estate agent and you got some questions about it, come talk to me. I need one or two other agents with my brokerage, Dean Property Group. Uh, my dad, Billy Jack, has been a broker since 1970-something and had his license. And I'm running this, but sometimes I want to go on vacation. I can't be here all the time, and I could get you to kind of show my places. But I don't want to hire anybody that is not going to work hard. So if you want to work hard, if you want to go out and get listings, if you want to sell houses and do some marketing of your own, come talk to me. I'll give you a very good, I'll be anybody's commission, anybody's commission uh, split. I'll beat it. Okay. So anyway, come talk to me. We got a cool office downtown Ken. It's right next to Val's once again. Anyway. Um, so you want to have a buyer's agent. Like a lot of times people see a house for sale and there's a sign out in the yard and they call the number on that sign. Now, if you know that person personally, that might be an okay thing, but if you're doing that, the listing agent, that's their sign. They're going to now represent you and the seller. So they're called an intermediary. They're going to get all 6%, but they're going to be an in-between between you and them. And that's okay, but it's better to have your own agent because Whenever you have your own agent, you can negotiate better. And you have somebody looking out just for you, not for both. All right. That listing agent already has a relationship with that seller. So by law, they can't be indifferent after that. However, you need your own negotiator and own helper looking out for your best interest going back and forth with the seller. Okay. So get your own agent. Um. Anyway, going back to the closing disclosures from the title company, you and your agent, which is me, need to go down through that and make sure everything's right. And you're, hey, what's this mean? And I'll tell you. And if I don't know something, I will find out for you and get right back to you. I don't know everything. Okay. I know most stuff, especially with real estate, but I don't know everything. Um, everything looks good. We meet Tuesday. The seller will go there separately and sign. And then you and I will go there and we'll sign. And then you'll get the keys and you'll get the house. And that's it. That's how you buy a house in Texas. Buying a house is great. Real estate is one of the best investments you can make. Your own personal house, though, is not really an asset. It's more of a liability because you're not really making money from it. But when you sell it, you probably will make money. Say if you buy it for 240 and you sell it for 350 in 4 or 5 years. Well, 
That's called appreciation. You're making money like that. So that's one thing. And it happens a lot with real estate. Stuff appreciates like crazy. Now, if you sell it at the wrong time, like when a housing bubble happens, 2008, you might lose. But if I was me, I wouldn't sell during that time. Wait till it comes back. Uh, 2008, I was in Afghanistan. I was in the Korangal Valley. I was sitting out there on a rock. I was looking out for the enemy. And I just went. We had like a little hut tent in this concrete barrier. It had some computers in there. And I checked my Fidelity Mutual Fund. That was my all the money I had. I had like $30,000 in a Fidelity Mutual Fund. And I checked it. And uh, it was $30,000 one day. The next day I checked it, it was $6,000. And I said, what the hell, man? Where did my money go, right? The market just crashed, kind of. It didn't crash, but, it, you know, the housing bubble happened, if you remember 2008. It's also, like, I can get deep into it. My dad called me, and I was going to get out of the Army, so I didn't submit my Special Forces packet. I was like, I'm going to get home, and I'm going to do real estate with you guys. And he goes, no, we're not selling anything. The market kind of crashed. Stay in the Army. And I said, it's too late. Anyway, I came home, and that's how I started CrossFit and all these other things. But... Uh, what I was saying is I like the investment of real estate way better than the investment in the stock market, especially a damn mutual fund because a mutual fund is laden with fees from your financial planners and investors and all those guys. Once again, for all you uh, sharpshooters out there, that this is not investment advice, okay? I'm not going to give you investment advice, but let me just tell you what I've done. I don't want to brag or anything, but I, I've bought over 15 houses all of them of which appreciated, most of them are assets, all the, but the one I live in currently, and it's kind of an asset because I use it for hunt. Uh, sometimes I sell hunting packages. I have cows. I have a ranch operation. Anyway, buying a, an additional house, and this is going to be an additional podcast, but buying an investment property, sometimes you can buy a house that, you can cover your mortgage, your insurance premium, and your property taxes and still come out like $100 or $200 ahead, maybe more, from the rent that you bring in. And with one house, you don't really know what you're going to get. I think you got an 80% chance to get somebody really good in there, and you'll never have to deal with them. You'll have to fix the air conditioner every once in a while. You're going to have to go call a plumber every once in a while because they'll kids will flush some toys down the toilet or the parents might flush some toys down the toilet all right that's another podcast all in itself but um 20 of your tenants though are going to be real shitheads and sorry if there are any kids listening to this but you know they're not going to mow their grass they're going to bring a pit bull inside he's going to chew up the door um they're going to have a german shepherd that they say it was a, you know, a chihuahua, but it's a really German shepherd, and it's going to jump through the window. Um, they're going to late pay you, and then they're going to be act like they're upset when they say, no, 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 this one, this payment is for May. And you'll say, look, look, Jethro, this, this payment was actually for April. You're late paying me. You don't have a ground to stand on. You know, anyway, they'll try to argue while they're all the whole time they owe you a bunch of money. And then one day you'll have to evict somebody and move all their stuff out of the house on your own to the street. And the kids want to fight you and stuff like that. Anyway, 20% of it's messy. But if you have a lot of patience, 
you could be a great landlord. Also, there's also companies out there, and there's one in Kent called M2. Um, it's a property management. You pay them 10% of the rents, the gross rents, to deal with all that for you if you don't want to deal with it, okay? However, you can make money a couple of different ways. That house will appreciate, hopefully, and you'll sell it one day or it'll be worth a lot more for you and you can, you can borrow against it. You can borrow from that, the, the equity you have in that house and buy another house and you can get multiple houses or you can make like 200 sometimes 700 sometimes $1,000, especially when the house is paid off. You can make that in rent and then supplement your income from your job or completely replace it and that way you can be your own boss. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. But that's, I think, real estate investments investments one of the best things you can do. Ask me how I know. I know because I've done it. All right? And I, I do it till this day, and I like it. And if I hadn't started in 2012 buying my first house for an investment, um... I would still be waking up at four every morning, uh, teaching people how to squat all day long and getting home at eight o'clock at night and then going to the Garland Fire Department and riding on an ambulance and doing CPR on people and, yeah, doing stuff like that. Some people like that stuff. Um, it's a great job, whatever. I would rather have, like, passive income from real estate investments. Anyway, I can help you out with investment properties. I can help you out with your the home of your dreams. I can also help you out selling a house. I'm going to do a podcast following this on how to sell a house in Texas. I'm also going to do a podcast on how to start a real estate investment portfolio and uh, be on your way to being your own boss and being set up for retirement. So anyway, I hope you like this podcast. And if, if not, uh, once again, let me know. And, um, Make sure you follow me. If you don't mind, go on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and rate the podcast and give it a thumbs up or whatever the thing is. It helps me get more listens. So thank you. Keep drinking Van Zant coffee. Come join CrossFit. Uh, call your mom and tell her you love her and kiss your kids. So thank you. <laughs>